belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for the week of September 5th, 2021 is called Reimagining Romans and how we approach scripture, life, and the church. The teacher is John Ray and the location is Vesters Point, Mount Sequoia, and Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome again. My name is John Ray. This is Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Everybody who's listening on the podcast, we're really glad you're tracking along with us. I was recently having a conversation with a friend uh, and she confessed that Romans scared the crap out of her. <laughs> I, had to, I had to agree with that. Romans, the book of Romans is a book that dominates the thought and scholarship of Western Christianity. Some would go as far to say that it's one of the most important documents in the, in the canon of Western civilization itself. It's really difficult to overestimate the import and influence, and likewise, difficult to overestimate um, certain... The ways that certain interpretations have been toxic and harmful in our, not just our church, but in our civilization. That makes it scary. That makes it scary to attack because there have been literal whole sections of libraries of commentaries written on Romans by the most preeminent theologians of all Christian history with that not even to start on the different books that it's influenced through that. So I want to stop for a minute, and I just want you to do something. Those of you that you're sitting close to, what is the first thought you think of when you think of the book of Romans? Just turn and talk amongst yourself. Or maybe what's the first emotion that comes up when you think about the book of Romans with that? Just take just a second. All right, so what are, what are some of those things? Roland said it was it's great for uh, coming up with quotes for T-shirts. <laughs> Romans is a really good source for that. Easter keys. <laughs> yes. What else? Cody said logic. Logic. Okay, yeah. We're going to talk specifically about that. Legalism. Legalism. <laughs> the Roman road. The Roman road, yes. You can forget that thing. <laughs> Brian just wants to say he loves Romans. Okay, awesome. Yes. And, and that's the thing is, I don't want us to be scared of Romans. Okay? We need to acknowledge some, that, that it is a scary book. And, it, and especially those people who have been hurt by legalism, fundamentalism, um, have been just thrown cliche after cliche after cliche and told that, you know, Christianity involves just believing these cliches. It can be a daunting book. It can be something that we don't look forward to. But fear not. <laughs> Just like back when we went through Revelations, listen, no book in the Bible has ever scared me as much as Revelation. And when we finally decided to approach that, what, two or three summers ago? Just changed everything. Now I love the book. I love the book of Revelation. So I'm hoping that we have this same experience here. That if this is, if this is something that has daunted you, that it won't be daunting anymore. And maybe if you've loved Romans already, you'll love it more. 
you'll love it that much more after we get through. So I want to encourage you on a couple things. We're gonna we're gonna be studying this throughout the fall. It takes us all the way to Advent. I want to please ask you bring a notebook. Bring a notebook to church. Take notes. Ask questions. I say this a lot, but I want to say it again. Don't believe me just because I'm up front. Wrestle with this stuff yourself. Read the commentaries. One, one commentary that we're going to use, it's not a traditional commentary, but it's a book about this we're going to talk. It's called Reading Romans Backwards by Scott McKnight. All the teaching team is reading this book. Get the book yourself. Look, we'll show you our notes. We're not <coughs> bringing anything in here that's going to be super original. You can see this. Uh, N.T. Wright's work on Romans. Uh, Beverly Gravantis. Uh, these different theologians. Find these, find these authors and read them. Do your own research with them. And then also keep up with the teaching. The, Anytime we go through a book like this, it's important that, that you you know where we are because each teaching is going to build on the other one. So if you're not able to get here, if you're not able to be here on a Sunday morning, listen to the podcast. Stay up with where we are because each week it's going to build on the previous work week. So um, in, in thinking through this, if I have one hope for this, I think it's... I think this is the key verse of Romans. Looking at it from this side, I think, now I may change my mind once we're done, but I think the key verse in Romans, everything that Paul is working towards is found in Romans 13, where he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's Romans 13.10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, Paul's letter to the Romans is primarily, primarily an ecclesiological letter meant to be lived out in the life of the church. We're going to talk about how this has shifted, how oftentimes when we think about Romans now, we think about soteriology, which is how do we be saved? How does an individual person be saved? We think about it as a systematic theology. We think about it as the Romans road, like this, this very sequential thing that is to lead an individual to faith. Y'all, listen, those things are in there, but that's not the focus. I think we're going to really come to see that that is, that is more a byproduct. That is not the focus. And it's not the primary reason why Paul wrote it. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. But I want to give you three takeaways, and you're going to hear these a lot as we go through, that we're going to do this, that we study about this. The book of Romans is about privilege and power. Paul's gospel deconstructs privilege and power and replaces it with peace. And Paul's lived theology reconstructs how a church is to exemplify, embody, and practice peace. And we have to do this. We're going to have to remind ourselves of these things because as we go, we're going to get very, there's some very dense sections that we can go very deep in. And if we lose sight of the whole, those, that study of those deep sections can take us in ways that it, the letter's not intended to go. 
So these are going to kind of serve as our guardrails as we go through this study. Well, let's start with this thing. That Romans is a lived theology. It is to be practiced. Now, if you grew up like I did in the fundamentalist evangelical structure, you got real used to hearing some really good sermons about theology, and there was very little practice associated with it. It was all about head knowledge. Even though every youth minister would get up there and say, hey, Christianity is not a religion. It's, it's not that. It's, not, it's a relationship. It's not about what's in your head. It's in your heart. Okay, I get it. I heard that. But what I saw was people who were much more interested in what was in your head mm-hmm. than what was in your heart. Amen. And we've all seen what happens when this, when we just take in information, when we just consume these things and we don't do anything about it. The first thing is we can become puffed up. We can become proud. We can become arrogant. We can become dismissive and divisive. Well, they don't think like me. My theology is better than theirs. And we cut each other off. And we end up, in worst cases, like we see today, just the vitriol and the, and the anger and the violence that's taking place in social media platforms and in social context. Well, that can happen if we think we get it right. But the other thing is, honestly, y'all, we can become really bored. Just more information. Just another principle. Just just some more details. After a while, if you're not doing anything with it, it can become really boring. And then we just atrophy our, our love for Scripture, our ability to respond atrophies with lack of use. Mm-hmm. And finally, what I see oftentimes, especially those who are really sensitive, the, one, the people who really want to do things, is you just become discouraged. You're like, well, I can just never do this. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. I'll never get there. And so when we, when we take Scripture and we just take it as information, we just take it as another consumable, just more stuff for my head, we're either going to become arrogant, bored, or discouraged. Now, those are naturally occurring things. Listen, I get I get proud. I get bored. I get discouraged in my Christian walk. I'm not saying that approaching this by practicing it, you're never going to have those problems. I'm just saying they won't be the dominant way, your, your dominant experience of it. We all go through seasons. But man, when we practice it, you will find that those things will become less and less a problem. Now we'll have a whole new set of problems, but we'll talk about those later. <laughs> so when we look at when we look at Romans, and we're we're going to do this table fellowship on how to approach the Bible. First thing we have to understand is Paul is a missional theologian. How many of you love Paul? Okay, how many of you really thought Paul that misogynist guy? I don't like him at all. Legalistic the whole thing, right? Yeah, I got it, got it. This will change your view on Paul. Look. Paul is a practical theologian. He's a missional theologian. How many commentaries did Paul have when he was writing his letters? How many? Exactly. Zero. He had the Old Testament. He had the Midrash, the writings of the the rabbis on the Old Testament. Zero commentaries. He didn't even have a Bible, (laughs) y'all. Paul did not have a Bible. At 
at least not one like we have. So what that means is that Paul's writings come from his life, from his experience. Paul was writing, learning as he was writing. He wasn't in some ivory tower looking at everything that everybody else had said and then coming up with this systematic theology. Paul was literally writing this stuff on the fly. It changes everything about how you think about Paul. He's not some academic professor to be argued with. He is literally a practitioner to be dialogued with, to be walked along with, to talk to with that. So we have to start. He is a missional theologian. He's a practical theologian. And he's a practicing theologian. Now, so what kind of letter is Romans then? If it's not, this systematic theology written by a systematic theologian sitting in an ivory tower somewhere, what kind of letter is it? The same kind as all his letters. It's a practical letter. It's a missional letter. And it's a letter that's primarily concerned with very real people in a very real place dealing with very real things. Now, does that mean that we can't draw principles from it? No, of course we can't. But we don't start there. When we start there, when we approach Romans as it has been approached historically, as this set-apart, systematic theology designed to be read equally everywhere by everybody, we're missing the letter. It's like reading Lord of the Rings as an atlas. <laughs> like, like we're really going to go somewhere with following the maps of Middle Earth. We're not going to get there, y'all. You're going to end up someplace, but I don't know where it is. And it ain't Middle Earth. Mordor. You may end up in Mordor anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, that's the thing with Romans is we have to start with what it was intended. It's a pastoral letter. Now, it's I won't talk about this too much. But I honestly believe it's the first missionary support letter. We're going we're gonna to find where Paul says, after he writes all this stuff, he says, I hope to, mi I hope to visit you and that you will help me on my way to Spain. <laughs> Would you prayerfully consider <laughs> giving to my outreach trip to Spain? Is what Paul is writing in this. Now, it's not the main thing, but it is. It's a pastoral letter. It's a, it's a support letter to the church with this. Um, so, this stands in, in real contrast to the way I think we've approached Romans historically. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. I'm not being anti-intellectual when I say this. I'm not, I'm not saying that all those commentaries and all those writings are useless. Not at all. <coughs> but I'm just saying if our intent is to read this for more information and not to practice it, let's quit now. That's been done. We see the effects of that. We see that effect in the church and society and everywhere that we can't approach this letter that way and get to a different place. The place where I think Paul wants us to go. What I'm against is divorcing information from practice. 
Those two things have to go together with this. But again, super easy just to take this as another study, as more information. Many of us would much rather be informed by blogs, books, podcasts, memes, because we can swipe left or swipe right on those ideas. They don't have a they don't have a an experiential hold on us. They don't have a relational hold on us when we treat the Bible just like more information. We, in a way, we can set our way ourselves above that. It's what's going on in our society today. It's part of the reason we see so much division is we've just become consumers of this information and set ourselves above it. Instead of interacting with real people in a real place and time like a church, a table group, we just become mere consumers, mere hearers of this. And then, when you don't like what I say, or the next woman down the street says, or the next person down the street says, you just go somewhere else. We have to also engage with this in the context of the community where we are. We're going to have to practice this among each other. People are going to have to see our work. And that's intimidating, especially in our society now. But that's the only way we're really going to understand Romans is doing it in the context of community. Like I said earlier, we have to understand that Paul's primary goal in writing this is ecclesiology or church life. It's not soteriology. Or how does a person get saved? Yes, it talks about that. It's a very important element. It's not the main goal of the book. That changes everything when we understand that. Like I said, Western Christianity has been formed by the book of Romans like maybe no other. And I often think if Martin Luther had got saved by reading the book of Ephesians instead of the book of Romans, we would all have experienced a very different past 500 years with that. But Romans has affected, in a way, has set the course for Western Christianity and what we have for good and for ill with that. Now, i got to warn you, as we study this, we are going to be looking at it from a different set that most of us are used to, and that is going to put us at odds. At odds, not just with other people who are continuing to practice the way that we've always done that, but also with ourselves. We're going we're gonna to have to do some deep digging in our own hearts and minds. Y'all, like the interpretation of Romans, the standard interpretation of Romans is rooted deep inside of John Ray. It's in places that I don't know. And I'm going to have to dig into those places. I'm going to have to challenge those assumptions. It's going to bring conflict, both internal and then, like I said, external. When we start seeing it different, start understanding that different with people who, are, who still understand it the other way with that, right? It's just, that's going to happen. That happens with all learning and growth, though, mm-hmm. but it will happen. So who are these people? Who are these people that Paul is addressing? And we'll go back to this, and I encourage you. We're going to share links in the, in the learning guide. We often share resources that give you background. But just briefly, Romans is a fascinating book because Paul is writing the letter. He's never met these people, at least not most of the churches. He's met a few, the, the people who have gone back and forth. But he, this is not a church that Paul planted. 
which is really interesting when you think about most of Paul's letters. They were two churches that he himself had planted. He didn't plant the church in Rome. What happened is that there were some people, probably Jews, who were converted to the way of Jesus, who went back to Rome. And then I think it was, where is it, my notes? Um, in the year 49 AD, Claudius was emperor, and he expelled all the Jews. This, this happens. Anti-Semitism has been prevalent throughout all of history. And he, he expelled all the Jews. He kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Well, so the church that was left then was all Gentile. It was an all-Gentile church. And we know from our study of the Bible that the Gentiles began to practice church very differently than Roman converts. And so there was this huge five-year span where the church in Rome was all Gentile. Now think about that. Most of them didn't have the knowledge of the Old Testament or the Torah. Most of them weren't brought up, raised on kosher um, lifestyle. So they were adopting the teachings of Jesus into this Gentile, Roman, predominantly privileged culture. Five years later, the ban is lifted. The Jews come back in. Hey, where's my house? Where I, how do I work this out, right? After the spora. And then they come back in, and they kind of were probably the ones who started the church. So they might have thought, hey, daddy's home. <laughs> Started to make the rules, wanting to make the rules again, wanting to set the agenda, wanted to go back to a more Jewish-oriented way of practicing church. Well, what do you think happened? I mean, all kinds of conflict, right? Like, imagine if that happened within our context, right? Anybody experience that? You move away, maybe you go away to college, and then you come back home. Things have changed since you left for those four years. People are different. People have grown different ways. So Paul is writing to this church where all of a sudden you're having tremendous conflict on, well, hey, if you're a Christian, should you be circumcised or not? Should you eat non-kosher or not? Should What songs should we sing? How... What do we do with our sexual ethics? What do we do with politics? How do we engage in politics or not in politics? How do we do these things? There was a tremendous amount of conflict that we know, because as we'll see, that was going on in the Roman church at this time. And Paul's letter is written to address that. It's to address this inherent problem between those who, Paul uses the term we're going to see, weak and strong between the privileged and the non-privileged, between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers with this, between the rich and the poor with this. Now, I told Alex laughingly that I was going to make everybody angry this morning um, teaching this. because So I'm just going to throw out all the catchphrases <coughs> that um, get people all in a tither in our society today. Because I clearly believe, I believe that Paul is going to deal with white privilege, what we would call white privilege, it's privilege. He's going to deal with what we call CRT, critical race theory. He's going to deal with basically where that comes from, the idea of systemic oppression and abuse, power and privilege. It's in Romans, y'all. Didn't come out from some professor. 
It's there. Can I ask a question? Yes. Just to stay in the context. Yes. So is this during the time he's writing the letter when the Jews have returned after their five year, or is it just to the Gentiles? Great question. So Beth asks, is this, is this letter written after the Gentiles returned? Yes, it is. So the, the Gentiles have come back now, and that's why we're having this conflict. That's a great question. Um, and so there's questions of power. There's questions of prestige. There's questions of systems of abuse and things like that. Um, there's racial questions here. Who's, is one race better than the other? There's questions of power here. Well, who should make decisions? Is that based on economic wealth? Is that based on political power? And, and spoiler alert, actually not a spoiler alert. You can imagine if you follow Jesus any, for any time. He is going to call the rich people, the privileged people to the carpet. He's going to call him on the carpet. He's going to say, you guys need to stop what you're doing. But he also says to those people who he calls the weak here, he's like, you also don't get to make the counter argument that now you get to run the show. And this is where we start pissing off every... Oh God, I said it. I'm sorry. I was trying not to say that word on tape. Um, this is where we make angry... Everybody <laughs> on, on the political on the political spectrum, whether you are right, left, or in in between, we'll fix it in post. God has something to say to all of us on that in our position. Basically, nobody gets a free pass. Romans is going to address all of that with this. So. This is arguably one of Paul's last letters, too. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it's gained the, the traction that it has is kind of the summation of Paul's theology. This is this is one of his last letters. Um, what about us? How are we to receive this? Well, like I, I said earlier, I mentioned Scott and Hyde's book, Reading Romans Backwards. See, what he says is, is we, if we approach this as, as soteriology, as, as theology, as, as a systematic theology, we read it, it's so dense, we get to like chapter 12 and we're just done. We're like, oh my gosh, it's taken me two years to understand all this. And after chapter 12, it kind of gets into practical stuff. Have so-and-so greet so-and-so and y'all do this and you do this. And you just blow through the last part. Where McKnight's whole argument is, no, that, that's the important part. Is that's where the it gets put into practice. And if we lose sight of that, that this was for a particular people at a particular time in a particular place, then we do just take it as abstract. It's not abstract. It was meant to be applied. And Paul talks about and names the very people who he wants to apply this. See, these were house churches that he was writing to. And, and next week, Laura is going is to start off with chapter 16. It's, it's phenomenal. It's just, it's phenomenal what we're going to see as we go into this. But this is written to a group of house churches, most of them probably not as big as this. Like of the house churches in Rome, this group gathered here together, what, 40 of us, 30 of us, would be considered a large house church. And Romans was written to 
groups of these. And probably by this time, you would have certain ones that were more oriented towards Jewish and more towards Gentile. We were already kind of seeing church splits before the Bible's even finished being written. <laughs> so it's kind of in our DNA. We're going to have to deal with that. But that's who this is being written to. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapters 12 through 16 first. We're going to start at 16. We're going to work our way backwards. And then we're going to go back and look at 1 through 11. Because we can't understand 1 through 11 until we understand who and why this is being written. So we're going to take time to do that. And we're going to have to develop here two ears. We're going to have to use two ears, but two ears to, to listen to different things. We're going to have to listen to who, how this would be received by the strong, how these words would be received by the privileged, the powerful, how these words would be received by the We're going to have to really develop the ability to listen with two ears, with two different groups in mind as we go through it. And I think we're going to find, maybe we won't, y'all, I think we're going to find that this is about power and privilege. This is about Paul's how Paul's gospel deconstructs that privilege and power and replaces it with peace. And about how Paul's lived theology reconstructs how the church and thus how we, this is where it gets practical, how we are to live this out. How we are to exemplify this. We're going to see Paul's theology is about the shalom of the kingdom, and it is opposed to the Pax Romana. Rome offered a, a vision, a story of what is good and true and beautiful, the Pax Romana. Romans counters that. I think we're going to see that it also counters the American brain. Just like the Pax Romana 2,000 years ago offered a comprehensive way of understanding what was good and true and beautiful, we see that today in America. The American dream. It, it offers a vision of what is good and true and beautiful. I believe the gospel stands against that in very specific ways. So I hope you're a little bit uncomfortable. Because I sure as heck am. <laughs> uncomfortable with that. So I want to kind of end with this illustration. So, how many of y'all have ever fished with a fly rod? Fishing with a fly rod is very different from fishing with a casting rod or a spinning rod. Or even a cane pole like I grew up with. <laughs> you have to cast it. You have to hold it differently. You have to cast with it differently. You retrieve it differently. And in many ways, it's counterintuitive. Like throwing a spinning rod, throwing a casting rod is just, it's very intuitive. Force, no force with it. This, this, it works against your intuition. The way that you bring it up, stop it, put it down. Now, here's the deal. I've been watching all these videos on YouTube on how to cast a fly rod. Because if you just try to pick this rod up and throw it like a, a regular fishing rod, all you're going to have are tangles and net. 
bird's nest. You're never going to get the line out. So I've been watching this, and I pulled some books out when I first got a fly rod years ago and reading all this out, watching all these videos. It's great. It's fascinating. So I'm an expert now on casting the fly rod, right? Rolling, you're shaking your head no. Why are you shaking your head no? You've never done it yet. <laughs> but I've watched all the videos. Yeah. I know the principles of casting. Rolling. I know, I know how it goes. You come back, you take a pause, you bring it down, you stop, you let the line spool out, you feed it. I, I am an expert at fly fishing because I have watched the videos and read the books. Right? I know that's not true. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, Alex knows that's not true. Also, Brian just called you out, so. <laughs> no, that would be ridiculous for me to say that, right? It would be ridiculous for me to say, I understand fly fishing. I understand fly fishing because I've watched the videos, I've read the books, I understand the principles. Got to put it into practice. That's what we're going to do with Romans. That's what we hope to do at Grace Church as a whole. Always is. It's not enough just to read the book. It's not enough to know the practice. To know the principles, we have to practice. And I, dare I say, just like fly fishing, we're going to get hung up a lot. Huh. We're going to bird nest. We get backlash. We're gonna get stuck in the trees. We may even catch some fish we're not supposed to catch with this. <laughs> like there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. But the only way we're gonna learn is practice. So. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.